So this is the penultimate message. That means the one right before the last one. The penultimate message. And then this is what it looks like. Series. We will be going over self-control. <laughs> so it'll be a quick one. <laughs> How's that? How long did that happen? Or did I do it? It did it right as I said, am I loud enough? I turned myself off. I was testing y'all. You said yes. I'm like, they really don't listen. No. Um, okay. So our anchor verse for this whole series is, of course, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of this... <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, now I feel like a stand-up comedian. What's the deal? Okay. That's my bad Seinfeld impersonation. Okay. We're going to edit all of that out. So we're going to pretend like we started here. So, of course, our anchor verse for this series is Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. I also want to look at Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls, so is a person who has no self-control over his spirit. Last week we talked about gentleness, and if we could sum it up, gentleness is strength in submission or control. It is actually self-control that utilizes that we utilize to be gentle. So when we control our strength, we're actually using self-control. Self-control is an interesting partnership with God because it's in the name. It's self-control, meaning the primary responsibility for controlling yourself is yourself. It's where we actually engage our will to God's purpose. It's very unique. It's something that we can do without God. A lot of the gifts we actually can't do without the Spirit. Self-control is one of those that we can because it's just utilizing our will. But when it comes to fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's because we're utilizing it in submission, in partnership, in agreement with God's Spirit. It's all over the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. 
So they do it to obtain a perishable, but uh, they do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air. I like that line. But I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified. I discipline my body and I make it my slave. He's comparing our walk in terms of sporting event, in terms of runners. And he says the runners, they abstain. They exert self-control. They don't eat in improper food. They practice. They train. And they're just doing it for a wreath that will fade. More so we, we run this way, race to win it. And our wreath is imperishable. Our wreath is everlasting life. Our wreath is relationship with God. Therefore, run in a way that you don't run aimlessly. Box in a way that you don't just hit air. I read that and I see, you know, that like little kid going against an older person and the older person is just holding them and the kid's just swinging, just swinging at air. (laughs) Nice try. I do that with my kids. That's what I see. Don't box in such a way that you're just hitting air. Therefore, I discipline my body, strictly discipline. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I'll not be disqualified. How often do we do that? How often do we maybe not preach from the pulpit, but how often do we tell people what they should do, but we ourselves don't do it? How often as parents have you ever said or thought, do what I say, not as I do? I do it a lot, and I think, oh, that's not good, actually. If I don't want my kids to yell, I should stop yelling. If I want my kids to pay attention, I should pay attention. I shouldn't just be angry at them because they're not doing it, because they're modeling me. We as Christians, we're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to be the salt. But often what we do is we tell people, be salty, be brighter. And we ourselves struggle with it. That's a lack of self-control. You see, the most basic form of self-control from a Christian perspective is self-denial. It's self-denial. It's not doing the thing that you want to do because you know it's wrong. That's a valid form of self-control. It's one we have to do. We deny the old man. We put it to death daily. That's self-control. And our habits and our struggles will rise up. They'll tempt us. I don't know about you guys. I really like sugar. Really like sugar. Just the other day, after I ate half a pint of Ben and Jerry's, I looked to my wife and I said, you know what I want? Well, I already had the other half. I said, I want something chewy, baked, and chocolatey. (laughs) When I get hungry, my brain doesn't go to savory. It jumps to sweet. It's bad. 
I have terrible self-control. Terrible. My wife is looking at me like, preach. Because she sees the remnants. She finds the rappers three months later. Um, I know it's a bad thing because I have shame about it. That's why I'm being honest and upfront with you guys and I'm confronting the shame because Alyssa will be cleaning the couch and go, where did these rappers come from? <laughs> and I go, those children, those children, uh, man. See, I need to work on my self-control. It's, it's not enough to just say, I'm not going to do it. I actually have to engage my willpower and that's appropriate. Sometimes as Christians, we get really confused. We act like we, sh- we don't have will. We act like we don't have struggle, which we do. We, we have struggle. I'm not saying it's easy street, but some of our prayers are so mixed up. We go, Lord, take the temptation away from me. Lord, make it so that this isn't a problem for me anymore. And he goes, that's not, no, you're praying wrong. Ask for more self-control. Ask for the Spirit to start engaging with you. Start exercising those muscles so that you find it easier to resist. I heard this. I stole this from another preacher who I will not name. But he was talking about Christians. And he goes, Christians are funny. We pray, Lord, give me a chair. Lord, give me a chair. Lord, give me a chair. And he gives us a tree. And we go, That's, thank you. Give me a chair. Lord, I need a chair. I I gave you a treat. Because so often, it's not about being Christian robots that God programs. We sometimes act like it is. Uh Uh-oh, I have a bug in my program. God, debug me, fix that thing so it's no longer an issue. That's not what he's doing. That's not his goal. Instead, most of the time, he goes, partner with me work with me. Let's do this together. That's why he says self-control. That's why he didn't take your will away from you, because we engage our will with him. And that's how he wants it to be. He doesn't want it to just be blind obedience, where we're robots. Well, I think he does want blind obedience. Don't don't get me wrong there. Uh, What's the better way to say it? He doesn't want robots that have no choice He actually gets greater glory and delight when we choose him, when we choose the right way. So he allows us to choose the wrong way. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit and says, a fruit of having the Holy Spirit is you will be better at self-control, so you will restrain yourself from the things you want to do that you shouldn't. He also said, don't worry, I'll give you a new nature. That means you'll actually begin to find it easier to want to do the good things. That's what our new nature is. That's what righteousness is. It's actually a built-in desire to do the good. Most of us think it's most of us think it's just a built-in understanding that what we want to do is wrong. That's righteousness. No, righteousness is actually a desire to please God, a desire to do the good, which we didn't have before. The sin nature prevents us from even wanting to please God. I'm just, I think about that joke sometimes. We get so myopic. You know, there's a Christian stranded on an island, and he said, oh, Lord, please rescue me, right? And a, and a guy in a raft comes by and says, hey, you stuck? You want to hop on? We'll, we'll go. We'll, I'll, I'll rescue you. No, no, God's going to rescue me. 
Oh, Lord, rescue me. Deliver me from this island. And a plane comes by, lands. It's a water plane. It lands. It says, hey, are you stranded? Hop in. I'll take you to land. No, no, no. God's going to save me. You know? Lord, save me. A cruise ship comes. Hey, hop on. No, 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 no. God's going to save me. Eventually, the man dies of hunger, gets to heaven a little upset, goes to God. God, I prayed for you to save me. I believed you'd save me. What's the deal? And he said, I sent that raft. I sent that plane. I sent the boat. That's on you. <laughs> we Christians get like that. We just get so focused on the answer. I was telling Alyssa, I was sharing with Charlie too, um, I had this revelation. I was praying to God, Lord, show me the direction in this area of my life. And he talked to me about this area. And I was like, okay, that's great, nice. This area, Father, give me direction. This is the more pressing need. You know, we do that with God. We explain because he doesn't understand. No, I need direction here. I, that's good. I, I make a, I'll make a note of that, God. That was good. Thank you. But this, and it wasn't until I finally just was like, okay, I'll just do what you're saying over here. And I started dealing with this area and the answer for my other need happened. And I said, oh, duh. See, I asked God and God's faithful. He gave me an answer. I just had such a perspective that it's going to look like this that I ignored it because I said that doesn't make sense because if I don't see it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, who am I to deny it? The, uh, so I just get that, you know, Lord, send me a chair and he gives a tree and the tree's an invitation. Work with me. Work with me. We'll make that chair. Lord, take this away from me. You know, Paul, Lord, take this thorn of flesh away from me. And he said, I'm not going to do that because I'm perfected in your weakness. You see, struggle has a purpose. We talked about it with joy. But that also means we have to engage our self-control. We have to engage in our purpose. We command my soul, right? And sometimes we command my soul to shut up. Sometimes I command my soul to praise. But I command my soul like a city that is broken into and without walls, so a person who has no, so is a person that has no self-control over his spirit. You see, if I don't know how to, if I don't have self-control, then I'm just wide open. And anybody and anything that wants to come in and pillage and destroy and raise to the ground can. Paul says, watch out for those people, those Christians who are tossed to and fro by every religious fad, by every neat little theology. What, what is that? That's a lack of self-control. Things are fun. Like don't, like, don't get me wrong. And we can enjoy theology, and we can enjoy activities that don't seem to be overtly Christian. Like, you know, like I like to play guitar. I don't always play guitar to worship God. And that's fine. The issue is if that ever becomes a distraction, because I don't have self-control to limit what I'm doing and be able to stop if I'm doing something that God says don't do anymore, right? We need that self-control. When we have that self-control, we have the boundaries, we have the walls, and we're harder to shake, we're harder to get knock off course. The enemy has a harder time getting in.
Without self-control, you keep yourself open to all the temptation and desires that come with the old nature that you're supposed to be putting to death. Self-control helps us stay on the path towards the goal. That's what he's talking about. I, when I run my race, I race to win. I don't race to get a participation trophy. I don't race to say, hey, I, I, I was in the race. Did you see me? I race to win. An athlete that wants to win is not just content being in the game. They train themselves to be better. They discipline themselves. They avoid things. See, if I was actually training to do something, I love sweets, I'd have to avoid sweets. I'd have to make sure I'm getting the right nutrition. I have to make sure I'm eating at the right times. I have to discipline myself and follow it. You see, God, everything he asks you to do will engage self-discipline because it will engage your will to stay on the path. Run in a way to win, to win the race. Second Peter, verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. The word faith there means conviction in what was said previously, meaning to increase your faith in the great and precious promises. The great and precious promises that we use to participate in the divine nature. So increasing your conviction by adding goodness, that means moral excellence, that means living right. To goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. I want to stop right there because this is really important. When we get saved, we're ignorant. And it's really funny. There's a lot of grace and ignorance. There's a lot of grace and ignorance. If I was born in the wilderness and somebody found me when I was nine, and let's just say magically it's a jungle boy situation. I know how to speak. 
though if that actually happened in real life, I wouldn't be able to talk. But let's say I know how to speak. And somebody finds me. I know, I'm over-explaining that. I know. I know. It's the curse. Um, somebody finds me and they bring me into civilization. And they take me to a department store. They take me to a, a grocery store. What is this? It's food. This is food? This is food. Wow, I'm hungry. I'm just going to grab that, open it, and start eating it. Have I sinned? No. Because I'm ignorant. There's grace in ignorance. Now, if the person who rescued me and found me said, no, 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 no. You don't just do that. You have to pay for it. And they explain why what I did would now be called stealing, and I did it again. Then I'm guilty. Because the ignorance has gone. Knowledge has come. With knowledge comes conviction. That's why we have the law. So no one can claim I didn't know. Okay? So with our increase in knowledge, which comes from a desire to live better, I need self-control. Because with an increase in knowledge comes a reduction in grace and an increase in conviction. So I now need self-control to live right because I now know what's right and wrong. And I need the self-control to deny my desires and to live in a morally just way. It's really important. It's important because the second way that we utilize self-control is with each other. The first one is internal. I control myself for myself. I pick the right choice to live a holy life. But the next way is with each other. We talked about this last week when I said there's a mature Christian and an immature Christian. And the way the Bible defines maturity and immaturity in Christians is the level of liberty you have in your life. The more liberty you have, the more mature you are. The less liberty, the more you feel the need to live under rules and laws. And the Bible says you're less mature. What happens when a mature Christian and an immature Christian get together and want to do something? Who wins? The immature Christian. Because the mature Christian practices love and will submit to their immaturity. Paul says they'll submit to their conscience because it goes against their conscience to do that activity. A very classic one. Music. Some people in this room will go, I do not listen to secular music. And that is A-okay. That is a 100% okay conviction to have. I don't share that conviction. I love music. I listen to all sorts of music. Some music has bad words in it. Some of the music I listen to has some adult themes. Okay? But I feel okay listening to it. God has not convicted me to say, you shouldn't listen to that. But if I'm around you and you have the conviction that only Christian music, only righteous music, then I can't go, well, I don't share that conviction and start blasting whatever. My prince, that would be the most probably controversial. My prince music. I can't do that. I have to 
practice the law of love and submit to your conviction out of respect and love for you. That's self-control. I deny my ability to have more liberty when I'm around you out of respect for you. I don't lecture you and say, that's a ridiculous conviction. I don't lecture you and say, you're immature and I'm more mature, so I win. I just get lower and I deny myself. I practice self-control. And I say no to that okay desire to listen to music that just wouldn't be okay in that situation. With more knowledge comes more responsibility to practice self-control. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians when he talks about all things are permitted for me, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. He says it a couple chapters later. He says all things are permitted, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted. That's four times he says that. But not all things build people up. Now, I will say this. When he says all things are permitted, he is not talking about sin. Okay? He is talking about the level of law and rules and regulations that we would define as religion that take the place of relationship. Because that was an issue happening in the Corinthian church. People came with all these traditions. And he was, kind of, he was saying, you know, some of the old laws, like food sacrifice to idols, not that big of a deal anymore. And some of your traditions, not really important. But he's also saying, you're permitted to not do those things. You're permitted to have a level of liberty and freedom for those, those things. But we also have to be aware that even though we have this understanding that all this stuff is permitted, we have to understand that not everything is beneficial. That's a very individual thing. That's why when we increase in knowledge, we have to increase in self-control. That's why we want to be good because me, my living a moral life will look similar to you living a moral life, but it will be different because I'm a different person. Some of you guys, when I just said, man, sweets are a thing for me. I, sugar, don't get me started on sugar. You might be like, eh, I'm a savory guy. I don't like sweets. So if we're in a room with a buffet, a dessert buffet, you're fine. But I have to understand myself, and I have to have knowledge. And so when I'm in that buffet, I have to exert self-control to not become a glutton. It's the truth. Alyssa's laughing, but it's 100% the truth. Right? It's individual. So me living in righteousness is similar to you, but will be different. That's why it says increase in your knowledge as you increase in goodness. And so as you increase in knowledge, you increase in self-control. Self-control to perseverance because sometimes you have to stand and resist. You just have to. The Bible says so. There's not always easy outs. That's why you have to increase in perseverance. Self-control takes perseverance to stand there and go, no, no. And I'm using sugar and food, but we can talk about more serious things if you want. But I think you guys can do the math. The number one thing that Paul talks about when it comes to self-control, by the way, is sexual morality. That's the number one thing that he says in the New Testament that you need to engage self-control for.
But through that perseverance, I get godliness. Godliness literally means to act like God. Okay? And I get mutual affection. That word there is Philadelphia. So your translations might say brotherly affection. And as I increase in my brotherly affection, I increase in love. That word is agape. The difference here is very simple. When I do all these things, I increase in my feelings of love towards you. That's brotherly love. Brotherly love, Philadelphia, is a feeling of affection. And as I increase in my feeling of affection, I also increase in my agape love for you. Agape love is also feeling, but there's much more of a will component, which is funny because self-control is about will. And agape is, I will love you. I choose to love you. But the reason why those things are paired is, I love this, the, the uh, Greek concept of agape love. Let's see if I can remember this. It is the love that is drawn from your heart because of the preciousness of the thing you love. It is the love that is drawn from your heart almost unintentionally because of the preciousness of the thing that you love. So when Jesus says, I love you, when God says, I love you, and he's saying agape love, when he looks at you, he finds you so precious. That's the sensation. That's the feeling. And that's the decision that is drawn from his heart. And when we're supposed to agape love each other, that's how that works. Now, it doesn't always feel that way, which is why we have to exert self-control. Because self-control isn't always denying, it's also drawing out. I command my soul to praise the Lord. I command my soul to praise the Lord. I don't feel like praising the Lord, but I'm going to. I choose to love my wife even when she is unloving towards me, even when I feel like not loving her because it's not convenient for me. I choose to. And that's self-control. That's telling the truth to any subjectiveness in me. I might not feel like it, but the truth is this. I might not want to, but I should be doing this. And you know what? Do it. I talked about a couple um, weeks ago, I love when um, the world's science and understanding matches uh, what we already know, what, what has already been revealed to us. And there's a really interesting concept here that I really love, and it also, I think, touches on self-control. It's this idea that if you want to accomplish something, you have to have vision. You have to have vision. The Bible says, without vision, the people perish or they go unrestrained. Lack of control, unrestrained. Vision helps us, motivates us to practice self-control, to move forward with what God is telling us to do. But there's something about vision that's really interesting and powerful. You can have two types of vision. You can have a positive vision, which is moving towards something, or you can have a negative vision, which is moving away from something. And what we know as Christians is the positive vision is what actually motivates you and it actually causes you to pursue it more than the negative vision. 
we know that what we look at, what we behold, we become. So if we're looking and beholding at something positive, we will become that. But if we're looking at something negative, while we might feel repelled from it initially, we will begin to model it because that's what we're paying attention to. Psychology is kind of catching on to this. And they understand that it is actually important to have some negative vision. There should be some revulsion or repulsion from what you don't want to be. Because that's kind of what motivates you to begin the move. But you need the positive vision to have a sustained progress towards it. You see, the Bible tells us to hate sin. It literally says if, if your leg causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, if your arm, cut it off. It says flee from temptation. Put it to death daily. These aren't just statements. These are emotional reactions to sin that we are supposed to be having. I am supposed to be repulsed by sin. It's supposed to be ugly and disgusting to me. And that repulsion is supposed to motivate me away. But if all I'm doing is focusing on the ugliness and the revulsion, what does that lead us to? Shame. And self-hatred. It doesn't actually continue to pull us to God. It just makes us go, I don't like that. And then we start identifying as that. And then we start not liking ourselves. But what we need to have is that initial repulsion of the behavior or the action or the thing that we want to flee, that we want to remove from us. But the positive vision of there is freedom, there is restoration, and there is purity or wholeness or redemption is what then draws me to look at Jesus, and that is what motivates and compels me to move forward. But the trick there is I have to practice self-control to continually look at him. Because when I stop looking at him is when I start getting confused. When I stop looking at the vision and keeping it in front of me, that's when I begin to go unrestrained, and I go any which way. That's why a fruit of the Spirit is control. It is self-control. It's not choosing the bad. It's choosing to submit to one another in love. And it's choosing to continue to look at the good thing in front of us whose name is Jesus. That's why we need more of it. So ministry team, if you'd like to come up. Jesus, we are so grateful. We are so thankful that you are a redemption, that in you is our life, and you're also our example. You are the ultimate example of self-control. That you submitted to the cross when you could have gotten up at any time. You submitted your desire and your will. You submitted it to the Father's vision and the Father's plan. And so, Jesus, I just pray this morning, as we look at your face, as we seek you above all others, that you'd begin to grow in us the fruit of self-control. That you would begin to grow in us the strength, 
to stand on the precious promises you've given us. That you begin to reveal to us the ways to train ourselves, to discipline ourselves into practice as we increase in righteousness with you, towards you, for you. And so if there's anyone here that is feeling Holy Spirit convict you and is saying, I need more self-control. I'm finding myself doing the things I know I shouldn't and avoiding the things I know I should. I just need some support. I just need a touch. I just need an encounter to help strengthen me. I'd invite you to come up. If there's anyone here who the Holy Spirit is tugging on you and you're saying, I don't love the brethren enough to submit and love. If you're going, man, I just don't do that. I do my own thing and I feel justified because I, I go, I'm able to do that. So I'm just going to do it no matter what. But I'm just realizing now Holy Spirit is talking to me and I just need to learn to submit and love more. I invite you to come up. And if anyone here is feeling the Holy Spirit tug on your heart saying, turn your eyes back to Jesus. Get your eyes back on the vision that will truly transform you. That will truly make you more like Jesus. If you're feeling that, I invite you to come up and receive prayer. So again, Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you for everything you do, for everything you've done, and for everything you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.